Today we continue in our study on the fruit of the Spirit. Let's say this verse together again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a great list. I, I would like to be that person. And we might look at it as the unattainable perfection towards which we are to strive as Christians, but this is not a list of things that you're to pursue. My goal here is not to give you five ways to achieve joy today. The key here is to see it as the outgrowth, the fruit of what the Spirit of God is meant to do in our lives. Today, we're looking at joy. Say it with me. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You often find that when the writers of the New Testament use words that we're familiar with, for instance, all those virtues of the fruit of the Spirit, we're all familiar with those words. But they become something completely different when we're in Christ. And so love is not just human love, mutual love, brotherly love. As we saw last week, Paul chose a rarely used form of the word and claimed it for this unique divine love, agapeo, agape, unconditional love. Another example, hope. He adds an adjective to it to redefine it. It's a living hope. In the same way here, when he talks about joy, he's not just satisfied to use the word that all of us would identify with some experience in the more happier seasons of our life. He needs to reclaim it, redefine it. That's a joyful shout right there. That's what that was. You go, girl. Boy. Sorry. I'm sure he's a very handsome baby. He says, it's not just joy, it's an inexpressible and glorious joy. So it's a joy that is beyond words. Another translation says, unspeakable. In other words, words fail. How many of you have ever experienced that level of joy in Christ where you, you just can't put words to it, right? It's inexpressible, and then it's glorious. The Greek word for glorious, the root word is doxa. It's the same Greek word for glory. We get the word doxology out of it, and it means weight. This joy that we get is tangible. It's significant. It is of immeasurable value to us. Where does that come from? That's what we're going to focus on. How do I align myself with God's Word and God's work in my life, so joy is the fruit of it. Now, in order to do that, we're first going to define joy. We often confuse another thing for joy, and that's happiness. Many of us are pursuing happiness. In fact, that's the American thing, right? We are all endowed with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's our culture. That's what we do. We pursue happiness. The problem with happiness is that it 
is a satisfaction or delight based on circumstances. That's, that's a really good definition for happiness. What word is inside the word happiness that explains it all? Happen. Happiness is based on what happens. Actually, the primary word is the word hap. And you know what the word hap means? Chance. Exactly. Who said that? There you go. And that's the problem with pursuing happiness. You get there, and then it evades you again. Because circumstances change. As powerful as our original documents are as a nation, the Holy Spirit didn't write them. But there is something, I think, something unintended in the phrase, the pursuit of happiness, that actually is a divine truth. You're always pursuing it. Just when you arrive at the things that you think are going to make you happy, the rules change, the tax codes change, culture changes. Your health changes, your relationships change. Happiness is never permanent, and that's why we spend our whole life pursuing it. And that's why the highest percentage of suicide in our culture is among people who are older than 65 years of age. Did you know that? That's startling to think of, to have lived a whole life and to have realized that you are no longer capable of achieving those things that once brought you happiness and to realize all you've got left is the past, Uh, that's a sad place to be. So why settle for happiness when you can find inexpressible and glorious joy? The Greek word for joy is kara, and it's the same root word for charis, God's grace. It's a deeply felt sense of well-being that results from experiencing God's grace. So whatever this lasting, inexpressible dynamic in our life is, it's directly connected to salvation, to experiencing God's grace in our life. Here's the point I want to make to you. The message of the gospel is about joy. Too many churches have turned the message of the gospel into guilt. Aren't you ashamed of who you are? Come to Jesus and he'll graciously forgive you. And yes, we all need to confess that we're sinners, but it's the thought of the joy of forgiveness, the joy of grace, the joy of life in Christ that draws us. Let me go farther. Joy was at the heart of Christ's actions on our behalf. Why did Christ endure the cross? What does Scripture say? For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, and even the shame of it. Joy is at the heart of the whole message and experience. Joy shows up 75 times in the New Testament. We're going to look in a few minutes at Paul's joy in the book of Philippians alone, which we might call the gospel of joy, he uses the term 16 times in a, in a brief letter. So with that in mind, let's look at what it would look like to proclaim the gospel through the lens of joy. Now, little quiz here. Who in the New Testament preached the first gospel message? 
Some might say Peter, right, in the book of Acts after Pentecost. Some would say Jesus. Of course, he said the kingdom of God is here. You know, repent, believe the good news. Some would say John the Baptist, who even before Jesus said the kingdom of God has come, repent. But you know who preached the very first gospel message? Angels. Luke chapter 2. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick it up at verse 8 after the description of the birth of Christ. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Or yours might say the more familiar, He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. That's the gospel. It's good news, right? That's what we call the gospel. It's good news of great joy, which is for everyone. Second, the good news is that Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord. Those three statements is what the gospel's all about. He is Savior. In that day, they weren't looking for a Savior. They were looking for a king who would come to rule. But the angel said, no, he has come to save his people from their sins. He is Savior. He is Christ, Messiah. He is the promised one of God that we have been waiting for for century upon century. And then finally, he is Lord. Make no mistake about who came up with the idea that Jesus is God. It was not the disciples. It wasn't the apostle Paul All the way through the Old Testament, when we really understand the prophecies, they are about Emmanuel who will be God with us as he was named by the prophets. And right away, the angels declare who he is. He is Lord. He is God. He is creator. Then the final component to this gospel message is you can go find him. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You can go and find him and worship him too. The gospel ultimately invites us to come to that Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, and worship him. What happened when when he's done giving this message? The choir showed up. Inexpressible, angelic, heavenly joy was the result. Now, let's look at how to embrace joy. I want to put up a verse uh, from Philippians chapter 4. Say this with me. 
Always be full of joy in the Lord. I want to say it again. Rejoice. That word rejoice, one way to define it is embrace your joy. So joy is an outflowing of the gracious work of God, the grace that God brings to our life. So you have joy the noun, joyful, which we see at the beginning of this, be full of joy. Joyful means being filled with it so that it invades every experience, every part of our life. You have joyful, the adjective, and then you have rejoice, which is the active verb in responding to God's grace, and it quite literally means embrace your joy. God's given me joy. It's a result of the gospel. How do I embrace it more fully? Not attain it, not achieve it, not create it. How do I embrace it? Well, The book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul during his time in prison. He spent about four years in Rome, in prison. And during that time, he wrote what we call the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then Philemon. And what's interesting is, of all of his writing, those four epistles are the most joyful and the most hope-filled. So imagine this. He doesn't know where his future is going to be. Eventually, he will be arrested again, and he will be beheaded. That could very well have happened during this season. And it was in that hard time that he was the most joyful with his life. You see, that's how we know the difference between happiness and joy. Joy shows up at the times that happiness fails us. And Paul expresses it. And so when he says to the church at Philippi, always be full of joy, and I want to say it again, he's saying it from a prison cell. Rejoice, embrace your joy. The whole book of Philippians is is the gospel of joy. It's about the joy that we have in Christ in spite of all circumstances, and that Christ himself is our joy, that he's enough. Even when life takes everything away, it is indomitable, the joy that we have because of Christ. That's Paul. Interestingly, in the book of Acts, a certain event happened in Philippi that you may remember. Paul and Silas were first in prison there. They were beaten. They were put in chains. And through the night, the book of Acts tells us that Paul and Silas, rather than sitting there thinking, wow, this is bad. I don't know what's going to happen. Who, who knows what they were doing instead? They were worshiping and praising God. So even in that prison, uncertain of what would happen, they rejoiced. And then it says, and the other prisoners were listening to him. I love that. When we show up with joy in the worst of circumstances, the world becomes speechless. (laughs) But they're attracted to it. And then after the earthquake came and all the prisoners were freed, yet every single one of them stayed, and the Philippian jailer took the sword out to kill himself because he thought he had lost all of his prisoners. And when Paul said, no, we're all still here, he says to them, what must I do to have what you have? 
what must I do to have that kind of salvation? He said, same message, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. You and your family, all of you, do that. I love that Paul is our example of great joy because he shows us the difference between mere happiness. I want to read this quote I found describing this. That's how Paul was able to remain assured in his terribly unsure years in prison. We should think of a spiritually joyful Paul in prison, not someone downcast and fearful. He is striding around some small room or dismal cell in Rome, perhaps in the presence or even chained to a Roman soldier. We see Paul carefully dictating a profoundly positive letter to encourage the church. Paul writes hopefully of his future in spite of the obvious hopelessness. I love that. We need to picture Paul in prison filled with joy. There's another passage that says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face all types of persecution. That word for joy is a different Greek word, and it almost means dance. (laughs) Elsewhere, to the church at Thessalonica, he says this. Say this with me. Always be full of joy. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I want to use this passage to present some thoughts about how you and I can embrace the joy that is ours in Christ. It's ours to have. First, we need to understand that joy is God's gift to His children, and so you need to receive it. One of the important things that we see in each of these descriptions of this inexpressible and glorious, unique joy is that it is only available for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The rest of us, all we have is the pursuit of happiness. But for all of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is a gift of God. May I just say to those of you who are here today, who would not call yourself a committed follower of Jesus. We're so glad that there are those who feel like this is the place they can explore and learn about the Christian faith. You can experience the joy of Christ by responding to the good news of the gospel. That's your starting point. Otherwise, you're counting on things that will fade away. Jesus said, the thief comes to break in, to steal and destroy, and that's life. Life is about trying to keep everything that everyone else and all of our circumstances is trying to rob from us. But then he goes on and says, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's the starting point for embracing joy. You embrace Christ. The second thing that we need to understand is that joy is God's will for you. So you need to obey it. What did he say? Always be full of joy. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So in some sense, joy is a choice to obey and to focus on God's 
incredible love and His presence and His work in our life in spite of any circumstance. Go back and show that verse again, Lucas. Be thankful for all circumstances. Is that right? No, of course not. Of course not. We're not thankful when loved ones die. We're not thankful for those tragedies, right? But we need to learn to be thankful in them, like Paul in the prison cell. Not certain. Everything taken away. Still experiencing joy. We need to develop the discipline of thankfulness. Third, joy flows out of our relationship with God. Pray, it says. Pray in all circumstances. That's seeking God. One of the recurring themes about prayer in Scripture is in Jesus' own teaching on prayer when He says, your heavenly Father already knows what you need before you ask. And in fact, He promises He's going to take care of you, but yet we are constantly encouraged to cast our burdens on Him in prayer because He cares for us to make our requests to Him, to pray at all times, in all circumstances, with all kinds of prayers. Why do we pray if it's not to ask God or to inform Him about the needs in our life? God doesn't need you to inform Him of what's going wrong in your life. He knows. We ask, first of all, because He wants us to ask. But we also ask because ultimately prayer reminds us that God Himself is the solution to all of our needs. We're not coming to Him to say, Lord, make me happy by providing this, by giving this health, by getting a job. All that is, is you using God as a means to mere happiness. God's not in the business of happiness. God's in the business of joy. Prayer puts us face to face with Him and reminds us that He's the source of that joy. That's why we need to understand that it's the distance from God that creates distance from our joy. We need to draw near to God. So seek Him. Let me go through these again, and then I'm going to give you the fourth. Joy is God's gift to His children, so receive it. Joy is God's will for you, so obey it. Joy flows out of our relationship with God, so seek Him. And then here's a final thought. These are not meant in any way to be an exhaustive list. They're just where our particular passages take us today. The fourth is, joy thrives in hard times. And so hold on to it. Joy thrives in hard times. What I wanted to say, and I decided to pad it down a little bit, is that true joy requires hard times. Do you think that's true? I do. I do. You don't know if what you're experiencing is God's true, inexpressible, and glorious joy until all the means of your happiness have been taken away from you. You only embrace the height of God's joy when all other means of hope have dissipated. Now, with that in mind, let's return in closing to 1 Peter. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter is writing to Christians who by this time are being persecuted bitterly. And he's writing to encourage them, even in these desperate times, to remember joy. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. So what's the basis of our joy? It's God's incomparable greatness, His work on our behalf, the confidence that we have that we are children of God and that nothing that will happen to us in this life can take away the inheritance that is ours in Christ. You see, that's all about the gospel. That is what we hold on to. And that's where we find joy, not in our circumstances. And that's why he goes on and says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Doesn't feel like a little while when we're going through hard times. Feels like eternity. Peter is laying these incredible trials that they're facing that are the context of their whole life, and they have no no thought of ever getting out from under them. Their life is about persecution. Paul is laying that against the eternal worth of the gospel and the internal inheritance that is ours as the children of God because of the grace of God. And he's saying, compared to that, even though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, that's, that's where we put our happiness mostly is in our gold, in our possessions, in our security. And he says even that will perish. He says here's a greater value of greater worth than gold, it's our faith. And these have come so that you may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. And because of that belief are filled within, say it with me, inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, we stopped there earlier. Why are we filled in all of these difficult circumstances with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He concludes, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Nothing can touch that in life. There isn't anything so dark that you can take away. I was reading segments of Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. If you want a perspective on joy, in hard places, read Corey Ten Boom's book about them being in Ravenbrook, I think is the name of the concentration camp, and the joy in Christ they found there. If you want a perspective on your life, read that book. If you want a devotional to cultivate and bring about the fruit of joy, 
Be in the book of Philippians this next week. Spend time in there. Read it. Engage it. When my father was a a young pastor, I was a little boy, one or two years old, but I still remember the church, and I remembered thinking it was a cathedral, but it was a tiny little city church in Jersey City, New Jersey. And the same way the Swedes came into Worcester and thrived here, the Germans came into Jersey City and made their living in the textile industry. And it was a little German Baptist church in Jersey City. And there were two millionaires, probably a church of 40 people, so that's a pretty high percentage. (laughs) But the thing was, they were owned by their jobs, so their families were very active in the church, but they weren't. They weren't. In fact, they were not Christians, really. They were churchgoers culturally. Well, it happened that both of these men got cancer at the same time. And, of course, that was far enough back that many of the cancers that we can cure today were not curable. My dad, as this young pastor in his early 30s, had to minister to these men as they slowly died. And he tells the story of leading one of them to Christ just two weeks before he passed away. And he visited both men regularly, but his final encounter with both of them goes like this. He first of all walked into the house of the man who was stubborn, self-made man. He had spent his whole life pursuing happiness by pursuing wealth. And they had moved his bed down to his great room So my dad came in in this long hallway, and there were animal heads and expensive artwork as he walked down. Then he came down two, three stairs into this huge room, two stories tall with giant windows that overlooked a beautifully manicured garden. And he sat with the man as he was elevated in his hospital bed looking out over his gardens, and the man was despondent. Dad read some scripture, tried to encourage him, tried to engage with him. The last thing he said to my dad was, it wasn't worth it. That's powerful. Sad. Powerful. In that same time frame, he went to visit the man who had recently come to faith. And as he was with him, this is what the man said to him. These have been the happiest two weeks of my life. But don't you get it? He wasn't talking about happiness. He was experiencing joy. That's our choice. Isn't that amazing? That's our choice. Pursue mere happiness and always be falling short of it. And in the end, it won't have been worth it. Or embrace joy by embracing Christ. And that will endure all circumstances. I offer that to you today. Christians, I want to ask you, are you even pursuing Christ as a means to happiness? There's certainly versions of Christianity like that out there. Is God your success plan? I'm going to tell you, God's not in that business. You're going to find great dissatisfaction in Him 
because he's not going to meet those expectations. Happiness is fleeting. It is just a pursuit. Relinquish your pursuit of happiness and embrace the joy that comes from grace in Christ. And for those of you that are seeking, you can right now enter into the joy of salvation, as Scripture refers to it, by acknowledging Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, by receiving the gift of eternal forgiveness and therefore an inheritance as a child of God that life will never be able to take away from you. And I just want to give you that opportunity now by a prayer that says, Lord, I come to you. I confess my need for forgiveness. I confess my sin. I believe that Jesus is my Savior. He died for my sins that I might be forgiven. I believe that He is the Christ. He's the one that you sent and promised would come to make a way for me to know you. And I surrender to Him as the Lord and Master of my life. If you are doing that right now, would you stand where you are as a way of symbolizing that you are making that commitment to embrace Christ and embrace joy? Would you stand if, if you're making that commitment just now today? Anybody? Good man. Over here, here. Anybody else? Praise God. Keep coming. Praise God. Amen. So I want to especially encourage those of you that made that commitment to come up and talk to me and make your presence known so that we can help you take those next steps into your growth in Christ. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in those that have said, I am embracing Christ. I'm embracing forgiveness. I'm embracing life. I embrace inexpressible and glorious joy. And like the angels, we want to celebrate right now, Father. So we bless you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen.